0: Welcome to the Rabbi Greenberg Show, the podcast that brings Jewish knowledge to you. You know the famous debate whether we pronounce the word tomato or tomato. Well, I'm going to borrow that for another discussion about Mashiach. Is it Mashiach or the Messiah? I remember about 30 years ago when I started to give lectures and classes on this topic of Mashiach, The Messiah, I remember hearing of a report that dismayed me, a young man, a yeshiva student, trying to promote the idea of Mashiach, and he put some posters on his car with the words, Mashiach is coming soon. And someone overheard two spectators, one asking the other, what is that? What's that Mashiach? And the other one answers, oh, they're probably promoting a new movie. It was dismaying, because you would think that people knew what Mashiach was. But then, a short time after that, I heard another story, which is a little bit uplifting. A rabbi was giving a talk on the subject of Mashiach, and in the front row was a mother with a young daughter, 10-year-old daughter. And the rabbi, who was sensitive to the English speakers, who didn't understand Hebrew words, used the term the Messiah. And the little girl turns to her mother and says, Ma, what's the Messiah? And the mother says, Mashiach. Oh, the little girl says. So whether it's Mashiach or Messiah, what exactly is Jewish about this subject? You see, we are suffering because of two centuries of benign neglect from a lack of understanding. Understanding of Jewish values, of Jewish beliefs. And unfortunately, a lot of people, a lot of Jewish people will tell you when you talk about Mashiach or other topics, they'll say, isn't that what they believe in, referring to other religions? So that Jews feel what is Jewish has to be something that isn't practiced or believed by the non-Jews. So they negate beliefs such as the Mashiach, such as the afterlife, such as resurrection of the dead, such as reincarnation, such as heaven and hell. When you mention any of these uh, subjects, the Jews will say, is that a Jewish belief? That couldn't be, because that's what they believe in. Although these are patently Jewish beliefs that were borrowed and adapted to suit their own ideological and theological preferences, but they are, in essence, in their origin, Jewish beliefs. And another unfortunate thing is that while we reject Jewish beliefs because we think they are not Jewish we absorb non-jewish beliefs by osmosis just by living in a non-jewish environment for example uh, you talk about uh, superstition where people will knock on wood Jewish people will do that where does that come from that has its origins in pagan myths about spirits in the trees and wood or It comes from the Christian idea of the crucifix. But whatever it is, it's certainly not a Jewish belief and a Jewish practice. People will talk about the weekend. I'm going somewhere for the weekend. What is the weekend? Saturday and Sunday. No, it isn't. In Judaism, the weekend is Shabbat. That's the end of the week. Sunday is the beginning of a new week. Or, for that matter, What is a rabbi? A rabbi is the Jewish version of a priest. The synagogue is the Jewish version of the church. A Sabbath, Shabbat, is the Jewish version of the Christian Sunday, the day of rest for them. And we can go on and on. So it's important that we filter our belief systems through the filter of Torah. In order for us to know what is Jewish and what is not Jewish, we have to look at the classic sources. So let's take the subject of Mashiach, which, as I said before, is a patently Jewish concept. But it's not just a Jewish concept, some very far-fetched idea that is some obscure idea. It's a very much part of Judaism and of Jewish life. First of all, the most important work, one would argue, is the five books of Moses, the five books of Moses makes reference to Mashiach. Now, I just want to mention, not parenthetically, this is very important. When I say Mashiach, Mashiach is a code word. It's a code word for a messianic age, A, that will be ushered in by a great Jewish leader, B, and in doing so will rebuild the holy temple, the Beit HaMikdash, on its site on Mount Maria, where the temple mount is today, and number 4 that will follow that will, what will follow after that will be an age of peace and tranquility an age of holiness and that will be followed by tchiat hametim the resurrection of the dead but we'll go into each one of these things in its proper time but meanwhile when we talk about mashiach a human being a jewish leader will usher in a messianic age, that is mentioned in the Torah. It's hinted in many places, dozens of places, but it's expressly mentioned in the end of the book of Deuteronomy, where God says, after Moses promises us in the name of God, that a time will come the Jewish people will be scattered all over the world. Now, it's interesting, I should add parenthetically, here trying to start a new religion, which person in the right mind who wants to start a new religion will tell the people, you know what, you are going to fail, and you're going to be driven out of the land, and you'll be scattered to the four corners of the earth, but then at the end of time, God will return you and restore you to your homeland, and God will again be your God, and everything will be fine. So that's the most explicit reference to the Messianic Age at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. But before that, near the end of the book of Numbers, Bilam, the heathen prophet who tried to curse the Jewish people and instead of curses, only blessings came out of his vile mouth, he referred to the future. And he says, I see it, but not now. I see it, but not in the near future. And according to Maimonides and Rashi, the two of the greatest... Jewish scholars of all times, this verse refers to the Messianic age and the Mashiach who will usher in the Messianic age. And there are many other references and hints, but that's in the five books of Moses. When you go to the prophetic writings, the books of Isaiah and so on, there are multifarious references to Mashiach and to the Messianic age. I just want to note that the word Mashiach itself means anointed one, And it could be a reference to any king. In those days, they used to anoint a king. In post-biblical times, the word Mashiach became a word to describe the ultimate Mashiach, the one who will usher in the final redemption and the messianic age. So Mashiach is referred to, not by name necessarily, but by his identity in numerous places in the prophetic works. The most famous of which is in Isaiah chapter 11 and chapter 12, where it describes the virtues of this Mashiach. In other places, Mashiach is described as coming on a cloud or coming on a donkey. These are all descriptions of Mashiach and his personality and his powers and what he will accomplish. He will take the swords and turn them into plowshares. We can go on and on for hours just quoting the verses in the prophetic writings. So it's obvious that Mashiach is part of Judaism. It's very well established in the classic Biblical literature. But it's also discussed at great length and in great detail in the Talmud, which is the most important Jewish work, second to and perhaps even equal to the Bible. The Talmud says, according to one statement of one rabbi, among many other statements, that the whole world was created for Mashiach. In other words, when God created the world, what was his vision? His vision is that ultimately there will be a Mashiach, a human being, a great Jewish leader, who will usher in a messianic age. Why that's considered to be the very reason for creation we'll discuss in another another class. So it's the Bible, it's the Talmud, and not only that, but Maimonides formulated 13 principles of faith. Judaism is filled with statements about what we have to believe in, but Maimonides formulated and extracted from all the Jewish literary teachings 13 principles of faith, which means that while there are thousands, the 613 commandments, and thousands of pieces of information that were transmitted to us via the Bible and the Talmud, but there are 13 things that a Jew must believe in as foundations of Judaism without which the whole of Judaism would fall apart. The first one, obviously, is the belief in God. You can't have Judaism without God. second one is God's oneness. There's only one God, without which there's no Judaism. The twelfth principle of faith is the belief in the Mashiach. And many people say this every day based on Maimonides' formulation. I believe with perfect faith in the coming of the Mashiach. Now Maimonides, when he establishes that this is a foundation of Judaism, he's suggesting and... Not more than just suggesting, he's declaring that if you eliminate the belief in Mashiach from Judaism, the whole of Judaism collapses. Now, the explanation why that's so will leave for another time. I just wanted to establish that according to the greatest of Jewish minds and authorities, Mashiach was not just one little detail in Judaism. There are many details in Judaism. There's a detail, for example, that Abraham's nephew was Lot, it's important to know because it's in the Torah, but it's not a foundation of Judaism the Torah talks about angels We do believe in angels, but it's not a foundation of Judaism, but Mashiach is a foundation an essential fundamental basis of all of Judaism But Judaism also takes the belief of Mashiach to the next level not only Is it a foundation of Judaism? Not only is it mentioned in the Torah repeatedly, but it's something that is a commandment, a mitzvah. What do I mean by a mitzvah? There are a lot of things the Torah says, historical things, that, yes, we believe in because we believe in the Torah, but they're not commandments. The belief in Mashiach is not just something we believe in, but it's something that we're commanded to believe in. Where is that commandment? According to a medieval sage who wrote a book called saved from mitzvot katan, the small book of commandments, where he lists all the 613 commandments, he refers to the very first statement in the 10, so-called Ten Commandments. I am God, your God, who has taken you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Now, that's not a commandment. That's a statement. That's a declaration. The next sentence is, don't have any other gods, is a commandment. Don't. Do not. Remember the day of the Sabbath. That's a commandment. But how is I am the God, your God, who was taking you out of the land of Egypt, a commandment? And he explains that implicit in that statement is the belief that just as God has taken us out of Egypt from the house of bondage in the past, so too will God redeem the Jewish people and take them out of exile in the future. So it's actually a commandment. And the first commandment, the, the first commandment we were given as we became a nation at Mount Sinai was the belief that God will eventually take us out of egzah. But then it goes even beyond that. In our prayers, the three most important prayers, one could say, arguably, two of the three are certainly the two most important. One is the Amidah, the standing prayer, or also known as the Shemona Esray, the 18 blessings, because originally this prayer had 18, and the 19th one was added. Then there's the Shema, and then there's Kaddish, Now, the Amidah, the standing prayer, Maimonides characterizes as a prayer in which we ask God for all our basic needs, our most important needs. There are 18 of those requests. Out of those 18, five refer to redemption to the Mashiach in different forms. There's only one blessing in which we ask God for good health. There's only one in which we ask God for prosperity, financial, material prosperity. But when it comes to Mashiach, we have a blessing where we ask God to blow the sound of the shofar for our redemption. We ask him to restore the justice that we had in the past. We ask God to rebuild Jerusalem, and so on and so forth. The Shema, the most important prayer many people would say, which we say at least twice a day, person before they pass away, if they have the ability, they say special prayers. Among them, chief among them is the Shema. We end Yom Kippur with the recitation of the Shema. It's one of the most powerful expressions at the end, at the climax of the holiest day of the year. When many a Jew would go to their deaths because they were given the choice of either dying or embracing another religion and betraying their belief in one God and chose to die, the words Shema Yisro were on their lips. Even Jews in the Holocaust, who were going to the gas chambers, would declare very openly and proudly, Shema Yisrael, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Well, what does that verse have to do with the belief of Mashiach? So Rashi, the greatest Bible commentator, explains. If you look at that verse, there seems to be something unnecessary, superfluous. It says, hear, O Israel, God is our God, God is one. He could have just said, hear, O Israel, God is one. And why Israel? The Torah is speaking to Israel. It could have just said, God is our God, God is one. Or, or God is one. So there's actually two unnecessary things. There's no need for the word Israel. There's no need for the saying, God, our God. So Rashi explains that this is what we're saying, in, this, in effect. "Hero O Israel, you, Israel, the Jewish people, God is our God. Right now, we have almost exclusive propriety t- to the idea that there's one God. We introduced monotheism to the world. We, to whatever extent the rest of society believes in one God, we are the ones who transmitted that value. So we can identify with it. It's ours. Now God is our God. But in the future, in the messianic age, God will be one for everyone. That's how Rashi explains the Shema. So whenever we say the Shema, we're not, only just, not just proclaiming God's oneness, But we're saying that the whole world will accept that in the Messianic age. And then, of course, we have the Kaddish. Even Jews who don't attend the synagogue and don't say the prayers at home daily and do not recite the Shema or the Shmona Esrei. But when it comes to the Yartzeit, the anniversary of the passing of their loved ones, of their parents, they will come to the synagogue and recite Kaddish for their parent. What is the Kaddish all about? If you read the words of the Kaddish, you're referring to the fact that God has to be glorified and sanctified, and a time will come when he will be glorified and sanctified. Right now, we have all the things in the world that are concealing God's presence. A time will come when God will be sanctified and glorified, and in some versions of the Kaddish, we will actually make reference that God will blossom the redemption and bring the Mashiach. So the Kaddish is all about the coming redemption through Mashiach. But Mashiach is... Our prayers are filled with Mashiach. If you make a tally, and I did this 30 years ago, I counted the amount of times the subject of Mashiach and all its ancillary beliefs, like the building of the third temple, the resurrection of the dead, and so on. If you count the amounts of time we say this in our daily prayers... In the course of a year, how many times does this subject come to the fore? How many times do we make reference to it in our prayers? And I came up with at least 20,000 times, between 20,000 and 25,000, depending on whether a person eats their meals several times a day and they say the grace after meals in which they refer to the final redemption and so on. But 20,000 is a conservative estimate. How many times a year do we eat? We eat three meals a day, perhaps, course of a year, a little over a thousand meals, but 20,000 times we refer to Mashiach. How could anyone entertain the notion that Mashiach is not fundamental to Judaism? In fact, one of the great non-Hasidic sages of the 19th and 20th centuries, the Chafetz Chaim, writes in one of his commentaries that Mashiach is not just a foundation, a fundamental part of Judaism, it's the foundation of foundations. What that means will be discussed in another, in another class. But Mashiach is also a part of Jewish life. I'll use a few examples. When Jews were going to the death camps, on the route to the death camp, one of the Hasidic Jews, who was known for his singing uh, abilities... And composing Hasidic melodies, composed a tune to the words that many Jews recite every day, I believe with perfect faith in the coming of the Mashiach, I believe. And he composed a beautiful, haunting melody. And he said that anybody who will bring this melody to the attention of his Rebbe, of his master, the Mozuch Rebbe, He will give him half of his share in the world to come. Two people were able to climb out of the cattle car by finding a crack in the roof. One of them was killed when he dropped out instantaneously. The other one fled and reached the shores of America and and taught this melody to the Mosher rebbe. And from that time on, it became very much a part of the melodies that have sung by Jews the world over to this very day. And many Jews picked up that melody in the death camps and on the way to the gas chambers went to their deaths with the words of an imam and I believe with perfect faith. There's another part to this song that is sung by many, that even though he tarries, I still await his coming every day. Those are the words they said on the way to their deaths. But we also have traditions. You have Kiddush Levanah Every month, Jews bless the new moon. We don't pray to the moon, God forbid, but we thank God for the moon. What's so special about the moon? The moon is the metaphor for the Jewish people. We wax and we wane, and the belief is, and as it's mentioned in that prayer, that a time will come and the moon will shine like the sun, and even more so, that means the fate of the Jewish people will be restored, and one should seek God and seek his, their king, Mashiach, is part of that prayer. But the final cultural and religious mention of Mashiach is at a wedding. A wedding is a metaphor as well. A wedding of two individuals, bride and bridegroom, is a metaphor for the love and the wedding between God and the Jewish people, which began at Mount Sinai. And that wedding will not be completed and consummated fully until the Messianic age. So what do we do at the end of the wedding ceremony after we recite blessings in which we speak about the future when we will be rejoicing in the streets of Jerusalem? We take a glass and we shatter the glass. And so everyone will tell you the reason we shatter the glass is that our joy should not be complete. We should remember the destruction of the temple. But there's a positive way of looking at it, that this wedding is a portent of the future. It's a model of the future that we will one day have the restoration of the holy temple and with the coming of Mashiach. So right now, our wedding is still pending, and we're hoping and awaiting the coming of Mashiach, and our wedding, our personal private wedding is the last step, we hope, to eventually coming into the Promised Land, rebuilding the Temple with Mashiach. What exactly is Mashiach, who is Mashiach, how to identify Mashiach, what exactly will happen, What? how important it is to w- wait for Mashiach, to pray for it, to learn about it, we'll discuss in future classes. Thanks for listening to The Rabbi Greenberg Show.